Well, good morning, friends. Happy New Year. It is so great to be with you this morning. Uh, Our scripture reading is in Ezekiel 37. I invite you to turn your way there now. My name is Matt, and I serve as the pastor of missions in our Capital Pres family. And uh, I don't know about you, but the month of January fills me with a little bit of excitement, uh, a little bit of momentum about what I want to accomplish this year, a little bit of optimism about uh, making my life a little bit better than it was 12 months ago. Uh, If your New Year's resolution was to come to church more, you're one for one, like congratulations, keep it up, you've got the ball rolling. Uh, The new year gives us the impression that we have some measure of control over our lives. Uh, But it doesn't take it too long for the world to remind us that there are actually many things, in fact, most things, are way beyond our ability to manipulate, right? While our motivations might reset on January 1st, unfortunately, our problems do not. And rather than being the masters of our fate and the captains of our soul, we find that our circumstances are stubborn and they're increasingly impossible to resolve on our own. And when your situation begins to look impossible, where do you turn? When your situation begins to look impossible, where do you turn? That's the big question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. And my hope is, is that as we come to God's Word together, we'll find a kind of hope and perspective that will sustain us in the days and weeks and months ahead as we enter back into our busy lives and to deal with the problems that followed us into this new year, as well as the troubles that await us in 2022. And I don't, think of, I don't think there's a better passage out there that will help us get this kind of perspective uh, for impossible situations like this passage here in Ezekiel 37. I'm going to read verses 1 to 14, and then I will pray for us, and then we will dive in. So let's go to God's Word now together. Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up, 
and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we ask that your spirit would do that work in us. Come and breathe into our hearts. Make us alive. Make us able to understand your word. And through it, would we see Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So where do you turn when your situation looks impossible? Like I said, uh, I don't think there's a better passage than this text here in Ezekiel 37. Um, But let's admit... uh, this is a little bit of a jarring text, right? This is a little confusing. How did we start January 2nd, 2022 in a valley of, of dry bones? Well, let's work through this text together, considering it in, in three sections, three parts. First, let's look at the valley of death. Secondly, the spirit of life. And then third, practicing resurrection. So the valley of death, the spirit of life, and practicing resurrection. So let's look first at the valley of death. And as we do, let me add some historical context so that we can wrap our minds around what in the world we just heard. All right. So the, the first thing to notice is that the person speaking in the first person in our, in our passage is the prophet Ezekiel. He and the people that he's writing to are in exile in Babylon. Um, before the city of Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 586 by the Babylonians, uh, the king of Babylonia, uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had raided Jerusalem a couple times. And each time, uh, he took treasure and people with him. And so Ezekiel and his audience were taken in one of those early waves, about 12 years before the fall of Jerusalem. And so Ezekiel's book actually opens up in Babylon with, exile, with uh, Ezekiel and these exiles standing on the banks of the Kabar River. And they're not making themselves comfortable. Right? These, these exiles firmly believe that, that they're going to return to Jerusalem in the, near, in the near future, that God has been judging them for their sin, but he will soon relent and bring them back home. And Ezekiel, however, is, is telling, him, telling them that, no, this, that's not going to happen. He, uh, things are actually going to get much worse. What we're experiencing is not the culmination of judgment. It's, it's just the beginning. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, Twelve years later, Jerusalem is dashed to pieces by the Babylonians. And you can go to Ezekiel 33 and read a little bit about that, uh, about that encounter. Uh, but Jerusalem is dashed to pieces, and so are the hopes of the exiles. So are the people who, who, are, who are living in Babylon. In fact, verse 11 is actually the cry of the people. They say, Behold, our, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. They, they feel that their situation with the fall of Jerusalem has become hopeless, that their situation has become impossible. And verse 11 also helps us wrap our heads around the valley of death that Ezekiel is transported to in verses 1 to 2. Uh, now, we can be honest, like, when it comes to understanding the Old Testament and the prophets in particular, uh, understanding Old Testament prophecies is incredibly difficult to do. But a good rule of thumb is that when God gives you an interpretation, that's the correct one. 
And that's what we have here in verse uh, 11 of our text. You see, God tells Ezekiel that this valley of dry bones is the whole house of Israel. Right? This valley of dry bones. Take, take, your, take a moment and imagine yourself there. Um, kids, my mind goes to the scene in The Lion King where the young Simba goes to the elephant graveyard. But, but take a look around. There's, there's femurs and skull bones and collarbones as far as the eye can see. Ezekiel is tiptoeing his way around rib cages and vertebrae, each bone bleached white by the sun. See, what Ezekiel is, is seeing in this vision is hopelessness personified. It's, it's hopelessness personified. The people of Israel consider themselves as good as dead with no possibility of resuscitation, of no chance of coming back to life. They've, they've written off their circumstances as impossible. That, that we, had, we had hope of returning home one day, but, but if, our home, if our home is gone, so is our possibility of, of returning home as well. And as we look with Ezekiel at this valley of death, I think there are at least two things that we observe in this passage that are still relevant for us. Uh, the first thing is that uh, this valley of death shows us that we are not as strong as we think we are. We're not as strong as we think we are. In exile, the people of Israel have this moment of clarity where they realize that they are powerless over the world outside them, uh, that there are circumstances that are completely outside their control. And God agrees with that assessment, right? God doesn't try to water down their situation or coddle them or lift up their spirits with empty compliments. He says, you're right, right? You are powerless over the world. Your ability to exert control over your circumstances is greatly exaggerated. And and friends, we understand that, right? We we think we have some measure of control over the things in our world, especially the things that are important to us. But it doesn't take long for the world to remind us how how powerless we really are. Take your health, for instance. A popular New Year's resolution, right, is I'm going to take care of my body more. I'm going to work out. I'm going to have a great diet. And you can have those things, but that doesn't stop a pandemic or a diagnosis, or an accident from upending all of that. Uh, you might have a goal of, of becoming more financially secure, but, but did you know that, that all the effort that you can do to save and spend doesn't, doesn't mean that you have the ability to control the market or, or predict un, unexpected expenses, right? You are not as powerful as you think you are. The, the small measure of control that we are able to exercise over our circumstances might insulate us from the problems of the world, but it doesn't keep us from them. We all face impossible situations, and if you haven't yet, 2022 might be the year that you do. And when those situations come upon us, when those impossible circumstances begin to arrive in your life, where are you going to turn? Because in yourself, you are powerless. You are not as strong as you think you are. That's the first thing that this valley of death shows us. But, but here's the second thing, and, and I think it's even more important. The, th- the second thing that this valley of death shows us is that life without God is a cemetery. Life without God is a cemetery. It, it's a world of death. See, why, why are the people in exile to begin with? Right? Why is this valley full of dry bones and not living people? It's because the people of God chose to live for themselves according to their own vision and instincts rather than living according to the vision and commands of the Lord. 
Before Israel even became a nation, God made a covenant with them and told them that if they followed him and lived for him, they would, they would flourish and be prosperous and be successful. But if, but if they did not live for him, if they chose to live for themselves and go their own way or pursue other things to worship and give their life to, that they would wither and die and be cut off. And this Valley of Dry Bones tells us that that is what happened. That is what happened to the people of Israel. And in fact, if you go and read the books of Kings and Chronicles, you, you'll see, the, you see the, the specific ways the people of God chose to live for themselves and turn away from the Lord. And the reason why they were sent into exile was because they chose to, to worship idols, to worship other things than the one true God. And they were sent away from their homeland because of that misdirected worship. The people could have had life with God but they chose instead life apart from him. And in time, they learned that there's really no life to be found outside of God. Friends, life without God is a cemetery. And this passage is helpful for us because it helps us come face to face with the truth that we're so quick to brush off or deny in our daily lives. Right? In the moment, we don't believe that living for ourselves is choosing death. In fact, it feels quite the opposite. It feels invigorating and life-giving. Uh, and... and and we stay so distracted by, by Netflix or TikTok or the next new thing that, that we don't have to take time to pause and realize the emptiness of our choices, that, that, the, that the things that we're living for outside of God are, in fact, just empty buckets that are never full and never satisfy. And if you don't feel like you're in an impossible situation this morning, this valley of death points us to an even deeper reality that all of us experience. We are all in exile spiritually dead in our sin and hurtling toward physical death, and we are powerless to change our situation. Happy New Year, right? But having read this passage in full, we know that the valley of death is not the full story. It is in this valley of death that we find, second, the spirit of life. The the spirit of life. After God leads Ezekiel through this tour of the dry bones, he asks him a daunting question in verse 3. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Can, can life come where death has breathed its chill, as one pastor put it? And don't you love Ezekiel's response? It, it's the kind of answer that a kid would give to their parents. Um, have you ever been there? Like, remember when you were a kid and your mom or your dad calls you into the room and you walk in and your parent says, do you know why I called you in here? Uh, was it just me? But, you know, what do you say in that moment? Well, there are a million reasons you could have called me in here, um, but rather than incriminate myself by saying some wrong answer, I'm just going to say, well, you know why you called me in here. Uh, that's what Ezekiel does. Ezekiel gives that kind of answer back to God. He says, oh, Lord God, you know. All right? Ezekiel knows who he's talking to. And although everything in Ezekiel is shouting, no, of course not, of, of course skeletons can't come back to life, Ezekiel refuses to believe that that anything is is too great or too impossible for his God. So he answers, oh, Lord God, you know. When God confronts Ezekiel with this impossible situation, Ezekiel decides to turn to God. He he trusts him to do the impossible, to to bring life out of death. And in verses 4 to 10, that's exactly what God does. He commands Ezekiel to prophesy to the dry bones, and, and as he obeys, the bones begin to come together. And the preaching of Ezekiel begins to be drowned out by the sound of thousands of shin bones coming together, uh, of a myriad of finger bones finding each other and coming into alignment and being covered with tendons and, and, flat and muscle and skin. And this valley of dry bones now becomes this valley of corpses. 
And, uh, and, and we notice that, that sort of the, the, the restoration process stops there. And, and, and so God tells Ezekiel again to, to prophesy to the wind or the, or the breath or the spirit in verse 9 for them to come and fill up these slain corpses. And, and Ezekiel does that. And, and then the impossible happens. Uh, this, this valley of slain corpses, which were moments earlier just this valley of dry bones, they begin to stand up to their feet as a resurrected army. Can you imagine the sound of, of that first collective breath that, that they take, the, the deafening exhale uh, of, of this valley uh, of, of new life? And, and this two-stage uh, resuscitation or, 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 or restoration of the valley should remind us of, of the creation story in Genesis 2 when, when God made Adam that there was that first forming of the man and then the breathing into him of life. So what's happening here in this valley is nothing less than recreation, nothing less than the new birth. And, and what does all of this mean? Well, God explains in verses 12 to 14. Simply put, God is saying that, that death and exile are not the final word in Israel's story. Right? As impossible as it seems, uh, one day in the future, the, the, the exile of the Jewish people will end and God will, will bring them back home. Right? The, the hopelessness of the situation will give way to restoration. And God himself will break into their tombs, and, and not to take anything from them or rob them, but to give them life. And not only that, God also promised, in, in verse 14, it's even stronger than a promise. It's, it's an oath. He swears that, that he would fill them with his own spirit. A, a spirit which he describes just previously in chapter 36 as a spirit which replaces hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. A, a spirit which enables uh, God's, people, God's people to know the, his laws and, and obey his commands. And, and more than just giving them a spirit of obedience, it gives them a spirit uh, of joy, of, of a willingness to follow and obey God. And that's what God does. It, after a few decades and within the lifetime of some of these Jewish exiles, Babylon is overthrown. The Persians come into power and the, and the Jewish people are, are permitted to go back home to Jerusalem and rebuild. And the promise begins to be realized, but only in part. Although the Jewish people return and rebuild the temple, they realize that, that even in this situation, they're far, they're, they're far from both what what they used to be and what God promised they would be. And despite some hope coming into their impossible situation, they were still looking forward to the day when God would come through on his word. And friends, the good news this morning is that God never fulfills his word halfway. What he says he will do, he always does. And in time, God does make good on his promise in the person of his son, Jesus. If you flip uh, the scriptures from the Old Testament into the New Testament and go into the Gospel of John, you'll, you'll find that, that Jesus, early in the Gospel of John, has a conversation uh, with this guy named Nicodemus about recreation, about new birth. It, and at the end of John's Gospel, in chapter 20, you find that a resurrected Jesus is, is with his disciples, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathes on them, and the Holy Spirit comes into them. What, what is that? That's Ezekiel 37 language. See, how is Jesus able to do this? Well, it's, it's actually pretty great because uh, our passage of Ezekiel tells us how. Uh, don't you notice it's interesting in verse 12 when it says that God himself will enter into the tombs and, and, and raise the dead people back to life? Well, that's, that's how God does that for us in Jesus. God himself came into our situation. This is the Christmas story where God came to be with us, to walk among us, to, to save us from our sin, that, that Jesus came to enter into our tombs in order to bring us out of it. 
that, that God would bring us life by, by, by coming and giving his life for us. The people of Israel feel, feared that in their exile they were cut off from God, but the Christmas story, what Jesus says is that he came to be cut off for us so that we could be brought into God's presence and never asked to leave it. And friends, there is no situation that is more impossible than dead people coming back to life. People who are dead in their sin, finding new life and restoration. And, and in the gospel story, that's exactly what we find. And friends, if, if God is able to bring life out of death in that impossible circumstance, then there's no situation we find ourselves in on this side of eternity that's too great or impossible for him either. Now, what does all of this mean for us on the second day of 2022 in Fairfax, Virginia. Well, it means, friends, that because of Jesus, we have a resurrection to look forward to, not just, not just in the world to come, not, not just resurrection one day, but, but we can even practice resurrection this day. Today, we can live in that resurrection reality. You see, Ezekiel's audience could only look forward to this kind of life. Uh, they, they could only look forward to life filled with the Spirit of God where every moment we walk empowered by, by God himself. And in Jesus Christ, we, we have that here and now. And in verse 14 of our text, you notice that God makes three promises to his people, uh, a promise of the Spirit, a promise of life, and a promise of land. And, and in Jesus Christ, those first two promises are already a present reality for us. We have life in Jesus Christ, and we are filled by his Spirit to live in joyful obedience for God, and, and we await that heavenly home, which is promised when he returns with us. We are filled with the Spirit in a way that we can live with purpose and intention today. See, life in Jesus, life in the Spirit, is not like a zombie movie where we're reanimated and then wander aimlessly. No, life in the Spirit is a life infused with purpose. It's a life infused with, uh, with, 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 a, with a meaning and, and a hope that can sustain us in a life that's worth living, a life that we want to live. We're able to, in, in the words of, of author and poet Wendell Berry, we're able to practice resurrection. We're able to practice resurrection. We can bring the resurrection into every situation that God has, has called us into, into our families, our classrooms, our workplaces, our communities, in the impossible situations that, that we have found that have followed us into 2022. And because the Spirit has breathed life into us, Things can be different today. So what does it look like to practice resurrection? Um, well, Wendell Berry gives us a couple of creative ideas in this poem uh, called The Mad Farmer's Liberation Front. He, he gives us a few ideas. He says, So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Invest in the millennium. Right. Practicing resurrection is, in, is investing in the millennium. Uh, we've seen this be true throughout all of Christian history. In fact, did you know that the Christian movement really took root when it first started out during a time of plague and pandemic? As, as the Romans were fleeing uh, a, a plague in the 3rd in the and 4th century, the Christians of the city stayed to care for the poor and dying, and it was through their sacrifice and service that the world increasingly became more a Christian society. And in fact, it, we, don't, we can go back a couple hundred years in our country, and did you know that, that Ezekiel 37 was a spiritual that our African-American brothers and sisters sang that, that, that helped them keep the faith in the midst of, of their enslavement? That practicing resurrection is a form of resistance against the powers of this world that seek to break your spirit? Uh, but, but even more practically, 
we're able to, to bring this resurrection into our everyday life. Uh, think, think about this. What if practicing resurrection made that impossible relationship this year a little bit more, more livable? Um, what if instead of responding with anger, we respond with patience uh, rather, than, rather than anger or rage? Uh, what kind of rest would you experience this year if, if, you, took, if you practiced resurrection with your anxiety? Right, taking it upward to the Lord and, and rather than, than letting it death spiral in your own heart. What, what would it look like to, to practice resurrection when, when you receive that diagnosis that you weren't expecting? Uh, when, when you remember that, that in Christ the grave does not have the victory, that death has lost its sting? What, what would it look like um, this year that when you fail, and, and you will fail, uh, to remember that because of Christ's resurrection, you're not living for God's approval, but from God's approval, right? That the good word over your life has already been spoken, and so that you're free, you're free to fail, you're free to confess and find grace in those moments of, of failure because you're able to practice resurrection here and now until God makes promise, makes good on his promise when he returns. See, while we are different from Ezekiel and his audience, um, in that we get to experience the Spirit here and now, we are like them in one important way. Like the Jewish people in, in Ezekiel's day, um, we, we are still in exile. Christ has come, and, and Christ will come again. But until that day, we too are in a form of exile. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world as we await another, that new Jerusalem that is coming when Christ returns. And next week... We're going to begin a new series in the letter of 1 Peter, which is all about how we can live as Christ's exiles. I encourage you, be two for two in 2022 and coming to church. Uh, join us next week for that. Uh, but as we approach the table, uh, let's revisit the question that we had at the beginning. When your situation begins to look impossible, where do you turn? Where, where do you turn when your situation looks impossible? And friends, as, as we re-enter our busy lives and as we uh, return to the problems that followed us into the new year, where will you find strength and hope as we press on in this broken and dying world? Well, Ezekiel tells us that the only place we can go, the only place we should go, is to our God, who is not only able to make alive, but he is ready and willing to do so. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who brings life out of death, who infuses our hopeless situations with an eternal hope that nothing can shake or take away. Lord, would we be a people who live by your Spirit, both this day and every day that follows in 2022, for your glory and for our good. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.